Welcome to today's episode of The Power of Reinvention. Here we talk with my guests about the dreams, the visions, and the passions that individuals have every day and dare to explore them. Whether it's business or personal, you're entitled to live the life that you want, and no matter what the circumstances, you have the power to create success, fulfill your dreams, and live with passion. That's what I'm talking about. So dare greatly and happy reinventing, folks. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Power of Reinvention. I'm absolutely thrilled to have my guest, Carla Hassan, on the show today. Welcome, Carla. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here to talk to you today. Likewise, it's it's been uh, a little bit of a of a progress process for us to get together, and I'm so glad that we're <laughs> finally doing it in our crazy busy lives. I'm going to share two just busy women, two busy women. That's a I top show have I say Kathy but I'm so glad to be able to oh, spend time with you. Fantastic. I love it. And I'm going to just give a little background on you Carla for those who don't recognize your name or know some of your amazing accolades and where you've been in your journey to get you to where you are today. Um Carla's the chief marketing officer of JP Morgan Chase who she's responsible for the firm-wide marketing including advertising, media, sponsorships, market research and customer insights for the Chase, J.P. Morgan, and corporate brands. Most recently, she was the CMO of Citi, leading the marketing organization to build distinctive, impactful campaigns that differentiated the brand, accelerated digital capabilities, and fueled the firm's continued growth. Prior to joining Citi, she was an executive vice president and global CMO of Toys R Us. And prior to that, Carla served as a senior vice president of brand management for PepsiCo's Global Beverage Group. I know Carla well enough to know she's also incredibly involved in community and charity work and contributing to making this world a much greater place. So it really is my honor to have you on here today with us and to share a little bit of the Carla magic with our audience. So thanks for being here with us. Thank you. That's a long bio. It just means I've been doing this too long. (laughs) (laughs) Too long. Wise. I like to say to people, you know, at this point in our lives, we're just wiser. We have deeper, richer Rolodexes. You know, we bring a lot more to the table. Right. So so I love to start my interviews with this question. Um, Who was little Carla? When you were growing up, did you have any idea? And I know that you grew up overseas. I think you grew up overseas, correct? I did. I grew yeah. up in Dubai. Exactly. Yeah. I actually so, grew up in the, the UAE, yeah, in Sharjah. Yeah, so, you know, I think it's so intriguing to so many, just given, you know, how familiar we are now in the world, what we get to see and what we're exposed to. But growing up as a young girl, uh, did you have any idea where life was going to take you? Did you have dreams of being a ballerina, a doctor, and who you are doing what you're doing? What, what was yeah, little Carla's you, world about? It's a, it's such a great question and really kind of has me reflecting quite a bit. And, you know, I would say I uh, it's, it's funny. I, I was reading some 
report cards from when I was younger. Uh, and it's, you know, it said, you know, Carla's super talkative in class. <laughs> Jeez, shocker. <laughs> you know, like Carla was super talkative. And I, and, and mostly I think because I just loved my friends and I still, to this day, I don't have, I have a lot of acquaintances, but I have very few people that I really, really deeply call my friends and, and, and I love them. Um, and, and I think, you know, and I always want to spend time with them. I always want to talk to them. And I was like that from when I was a kid. Um, and so I would say that's kind of a little bit of who I am. I, I am one of four siblings really? um, and we have a very, you know, large extended family. And so family is really, really important to me. And, um, and, you know, being able to, you know, pick up the phone and on a bad day or even a good day and call one of my siblings is, you know, has always been important to me from the, from the very beginning. So I've, I've never been on this journey of life by myself. And I think that, you know, and we're all very close in age. So, um, so, you know, little, little Carla always had somebody around, um, uh, around. I, I also will say though, I, you know, I'm the number two of the four. Okay, and interesting. Sometimes when you're number two, you take on a role because you're like, you know, I feel like it's interesting, you know, you get, you get, you almost get jealous of the number one because they get all the attention and yeah. they were the number one and number two, you got to fend for yourself. It's almost like the middle <laughs> child. Uh, and right. so I really, like emerged, I think, as a, you know, sort of a, a mama bear from the very, very beginning of when I was young. And so, you know, I was uh, like that with my friends, like that with family. Um, and I would say I was obedient. I was obedient, but a little cheeky. So uh-huh. I didn't give my parents too much of a time, but I was just a little, you know, cheeky enough that we would have a little bit of fun. But to answer the, the second question of like, did I ever think that I would be here? I mean, the short answer is, is no. Uh, I never thought that I would be here doing what I'm doing right now at this moment. I do have very vivid memories. My father owned his own uh, contracting company. He was a civil engineer and he was one of the first um, civil engineers to be in the United Arab Emirates when they were building the infrastructure of, Mm. you know, the seven Emirates coming out of their um, after they, you know, got their uh, emancipation and freedom from the from from the UK, and really, uh, you know, I would go to his office, you know, and I would sit in his office, and I would I would play office, I would sign checks. Oh, cute. <laughs> which scared the crap out of him because I would write like a million dollar check and I'd sign it, but I wouldn't write to who. And so he was like, Oh my God, this could be dangerous. Right. (laughs) It was so, so dangerous. Um, and I was really good at forging his signature, you know? So like I learned how to like do his signature anyway, but I love the idea of like being a boss. Like I was always like pretending that I was the boss in his office and I would like, you know, organize his papers and organize his supplies. And I, always loved like office supplies. I loved like ordering office supplies. So for me, it was always, you know, I don't know. I just loved going in the office with him. I loved sitting and listening in some of his meetings. Sometimes I'd sit outside his door because I sat like, you know, in the assistant area. Right. Sit outside his door and listen to these conversations. I had no clue what he was talking about, but I was like, ah, that's pretty cool. He's like a boss dude, you know? Right. And so I think for me, again, I, I never knew like I'm I never ever said I wanted to be a doctor or I wanted to be a this or that. Like I didn't know, but, but I always gravitated. That kind of pull. Yeah. Yeah, It's fascinating. You're telling the story and all I'm seeing in my head is pictures of me in my, like literally verbatim, everything you just said in my dad's office right here down the road, 
same sentiment, same experience, always worked for him. I mean, it's really uncanny because I never yeah. really thought about it in that moment. And I sort of attribute some of where I am to other role models in my life. My aunt who ran a business out of her house, had three young boys and is one of the most prolific businesswomen in Australia where I grew up. But what you just said about your father and my experience as a young teenager being like, I'm working for my dad and I'm the only one that can decipher his handwriting. And I, you know, like the office supplies and being organized and sitting like everything about that. I'm just like smiling, you know, from ear to ear because I just you just brought back all these memories for me. I oh, love I that. I love that. And, you know, it was really interesting because, you know, to your point, you, you know, you said it earlier, you know, everybody knows about Dubai now. And everyone, when I tell them I grew up there, is like, oh, that's on my bucket list. But interestingly enough, no one knew who it was back then exactly. right, or what it was. And, and so, and also, you know, I grew up in the Middle East where women, you know, at, particularly at the time, it's very yeah. different now in so yeah. many places, but particularly at the time, you know, and my father would take me into the office, right? He would take his daughter into That's the office. That's unusual. Proudly, yeah. yeah. And proudly take his daughter into the office. And I never, never for, forget, he's always said and still does to this day, like, I don't care what you do. You can be you know, whatever profession or whatever thing you decide to do, just be really, really, really good at it. Right. So he was always and still is focused on like how you do your job, not the job. Yeah. Um, be proud of whatever it is that you choose to do. And so I feel like that was always ingrained in me growing up. So while I know some kids say, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be an astronaut, I'm going to be an engineer, right. I'm going to code, I'm going to this, I did not have that. But I did have the fundamental sort of essentials of, you know, whatever it was that excited me. But it really was, it was like go into an office and like, you know, arrange stuff and be you know, it's fascinating <laughs> that you have the same thing. Well, you know what they say, if you can see it, you can be it. And, you know, it's That's probably true. had a lot to do with your trajectory. You sort of had this vision of where you could see yourself one day. And some people have an issue with that because they feel like, oh, it may be imposter syndrome and I'm not really that boss lady yet. And how do I get there? Which I think is a really interesting thing when you look at the executive roles that you've had at a really important time in our business culture and the growth of the role of women in business and executives. And we know we're near where we need to be. And we all know that very well. But you've had a really wonderful career that's kind of taken you there. It's sweet to kind of know the nuggets of just where that vision enabled you. And I think, you know, I have a, a big word that I use around the topic of reinvention, which is entitled. And I feel that we all need to really know that we are entitled to be who we want to be, to have what we want to have in lives, in our lives, and how to get there and how to create yeah. it is really the big mystery, right? And so absolutely. do you think that when you started to lean into your education, your schooling, those first jobs, um, you had that sense and you may not have been fully aware of it, um, but you really sort of knew that one day you wanted to sort of be in that big, that big chair in that office doing something. What sort of drove you as you started to look at your career path? It's a very good question. I mean, I would say several things, some of which are were deliberate and some of which were just either contextual, circumstantial or luck, frankly. Um, you know, I when we moved to the U.S. Um, from the Middle East. How we old moved, were you? Sorry. I was 14 going on 15. I had graduated high school. I was in the international baccalaureate program. So I was okay. going back to the Middle East to finish my 13th grade, supposedly, um, and then go to university. 
and that didn't happen. We were in the U.S., the Gulf War broke out, and my parents decided that, you know what, we were going to stay in the U.S. And so you can imagine the mm. kind of trauma of you don't get to say goodbye to your friends, you don't get to, I mean, there's so much, right? But we ended up in the States, and um, and there was, you know, the, the kind of, the part that I had no control over was, um, you know, there's no option of going back, right? So you're here now, and there's no option of going back. You know, unlike other friends of mine who would, ultimately leave the Middle East for a university, but come, come back, back. Their parents yeah. or they had, you know, my parents were now in the U S and, um, and so there was, there was the, the notion that like, where are you going to go? You have yeah. to make it here. Right. So that was one thing. The other was, you know, my, my parents were, and, you know, have always been very, very, um, uh, uh, they put a hold of a lot of importance on education, right? That was not an option to not be educated. And it was, uh, and so we all, you know, we all did that and got our, you know, our, our degrees and stuff. But interestingly enough, there was, you know, coming out of school, there was no network for me. Like, who do my parents know, right? Again, right. if I had been in the Middle East, there might have been, and well, there would have been for yes. sure, yeah. right? Sounds my parents like knew it. everybody there. Right. I had to make it on my own. I had to figure it out. Yeah. I had to, you know, uh, uh, you know, think about what life could be. I couldn't just, you know, and so, so from, yeah. So from that perspective, it was circumstantial. Like I, I felt like I really had no choice, which I think actually is a real immigrant phenomenon, right? Like a lot of people, particularly those that are lucky enough to come to the U S and to, to have the ability to be in the U S you know, you, you don't throw away that, that, you know, that, that, that privilege that you have been given. And so for me, there was, there always has been that even to this day. Yeah the option. Uh, And so even though there are probably plenty of options where I am now in my career, you still think that way. And so from that perspective, had no choice. The other was, I just, you know, I started to lean in a little bit to the things that were, you know, I started to become a little bit more conscious about the things that I was good at. Um, And, you know, it took me a long time to figure it all out. But, you know, as you get a little bit older, you realize like, here's what I am good at. Here's what I'm not good at. And I don't know that you think about it actively. Like, I don't think I was like, I'm good at this. I'm good at that. But I think you you tend to gravitate towards the things that yeah. really do. And you start yeah. to say like, this is comfortable for me and this is something, and then you start to excel at it. And I think other people start to see it. And, and, you know, I've always been grounded in being a good human. My parents have always, always said to me, always do the right thing, have a strong moral compass and everything else, you know, sorts itself out. Be kind to people, be good to people, understand where people are coming from. You never know what other people are going through. And I think that also helped, uh, I don't know if this is the right way of saying it, but endear myself towards people, right? Like people felt like they, you know, maybe wanted to be more around me because I was a Well, also because something you said earlier, you said you really valued your, you value your friendships, you value your human connection. And again, so relate to this. I grew up in Australia. I lived in Israel for four years. Same, same thing. Moved here when I was 14 years old, had to make new friends and the connections that I made. I'm still to this day, really close with my little girlfriends from when I was five years old. And those friends that I was friends with in Israel and the the friends that I then made. And I was always the new person on the playground. So it had to be like, hi, I'm the new girl. You know, will you be my friend? So I now do that for everybody else because I know what it feels like to be the new person and to cherish and value the friendships and the people around us that make our lives 
tick and make our lives work. And it, it's something that we hold near and dear to us. And I think endears us to other people yeah. because we have that sort of sensitivity. We know what yeah. it's like and we know the value of those yeah, relationships. You're right. You're right. It's put in context, right, of your own exactly. life. As, as, as by the way everything is. And so I just think that, you know, from a career standpoint, you know, I, I got lucky. I mean, this is where the luck comes, right? You know, I was in grad school and I was taking some courses and I was like, wow, this, you know, marketing thing is interesting. But I, I really thought it was making advertising. And it <laughs> actually, it was two courses that I thought were interesting. One was the advertising. The other was insights and this idea that like you could learn about people and you could actually understand what makes them tick and then the psychology actually, of it all yeah like yeah. you could actually do things that were going to change their behavior I thought that was really interesting and I happened to um, meet somebody who was recruiting on campus for an internship at Kellogg's I had no experience none whatsoever zero no yeah. internships in high school no nothing and you know he happened to you know whatever it was that he saw in me, he gave me a chance. And Amazing. that was it. You know, that was really, really it. And from there, I just tried as hard as I could within the companies that I was in to stay true to who I was, to just put my head down and do good work, to let the work speak for itself. But I was naturally good at networking with people. So I got to know more and more people. And the, the better I became at the job, the more people would say, hey, can you do that? Can you do that? And it just started snowballing from there. And then I started to realize, well, actually, the game is more than just luck. You've got to put your hand up for these roles. Uh, and so I would put my hand up for anything and everything whether it was a new role, whether it was a special project for somebody, I would never say no. Uh, and so that's a great you know, point though. And I, and I think people need to hear that because it, it's so valuable and such a great opportunity to learn and grow, even if you don't know it, right? Like you really, yes. you figure it out. Yeah. yeah. And listen, imposter syndrome is a real thing. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's a, you know, here's a, you know, brown woman, an immigrant, you know, like Arabic was my native tongue. I mean, imposter syndrome is, and you bring all your cultural norms with you. Yes. So many things that I've gone through, lessons I've learned, challenging moments in my career. You know, I, I can sit here now, however many years later and tell you, I mean, we can tell a great story about my career, sure, but we've you know, I've been through a lot um, to, to, to get here. It's yeah. not always as up as it sounds. Exactly. And I feel like that's a good thing. You know, that's yeah. a good thing. So question for you, when those challenges came along and we, we all have these moments of, you know, whether we're entrepreneurs and we're looking at risk and the potential of failure or the fear of taking something on and raising your hand and saying, you know, I really want to do this, but I know nothing about it. And we have mutual friends who I know talk about like packing their suitcase. Lisa Licht, who's quoted in my book as well, and a mutual friend of ours, talks yes. about, you know, the toolkit that you acquire along the way. Um, you know, what is it in that moment that you pull on for the confidence to kind of persevere? Is it that you have a vision of the reward will outweigh the risk? Um, you know, how do you get through those challenging moments of fear or concern of, yeah. you know, not succeeding? Oh, it's a great question. A lot of things. It's not just one thing. Um, there are things that I do, um, as Lisa said, actually, there is a toolbox, right? I never envisioned it that way. But like now, that's a great way to envision it. It's like, open up that box and what is in there in the 
like years and years and years of experience that I've had that I can pull from to remind myself actually that this too shall pass. This moment will pass. Right. And I've had plenty of moments. I mean, for crying out loud, I was at a company that went away publicly, very, very publicly, you know? And so, um, I've had so many micro moments that have been, know, not so great and big, big, big macro moments that have been not so great. And you learn over time that even through the mistakes, it will pass. Mm. And importantly, more importantly, even then it will pass, you will learn, yeah. like you will learn something from it. Right. So, um, and I just have, you just have to talk to yourself about that. You just have to keep reminding yourself that you've been through something like this in a different way, maybe, but you've been through something like this before. The other thing on, on the times when, you know, you don't know if you can do something again, go back to like, but you got this, like, you know, I mean, there are, you know, I, I, I talk to myself a lot about like transferable skills, mm. um, that, you know, maybe I have never done that particular job but what that job requires is six skills of which five I've mastered in previous roles. Right. And so like, it's gonna be okay. And the journey, and then you reflect on like, every time I've done that, the, the back end of it, right. When you come back on the back end of it, it feels really good. It feels really good. And so, and then the last thing I'd say on it is, is people around you. So there's the, there's the, you know, I've, my internal piece of talking to myself, going into that toolbox, seeing things and, and reminding myself. And then the other part of it is I have, you know, three or four people that I hold dear to my heart that I go to that I know will tell me the good, the bad and the ugly of what I'm thinking. And they help me think through that. And I think everybody needs that because the reality is you can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. You know, I remember, um, I was uh, contemplating uh, some roles uh, when I had, after I had left Toys R Us and I met Tiffany R. Warren, my dear friend, uh, for the first time and we were having uh, breakfast and she said to me at the time, she said to me, you know, Carla, everything great is, sits on the other side of fear. And I thought, and I don't know who quoted it for her or whatever, but she was like, you know, everything you want, everything good, everything that you can envision sits on the other side of fear. So it's okay to be, first of all, it's okay to be afraid, but second of all, like think about what's on the other side. And, you know, she gave me the courage to do a few things that I would not otherwise have done or thought about. And so I think it's a real combination of like your own experiences, keep talking to yourself and then surround yourself with people who will push you. I love that. I love that. And I think the importance to your point about the mentors in our lives, the friends in our lives, the people that will tell us the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, really leaning into that, knowing who that group of people around us is. And when I talk a lot about this with folks about, you know, kind of defining your personal brand and you touched on something about these transferable skills, you know, people who want to transition from one industry to another, they don't recognize sometimes what those are, what those skills are that they have. And I've gone through this with a lot of friends who are very high level executives at companies that are in a particular industry. They think the industry is all they know. What they don't realize is their skill set could literally be more valuable in another industry and show up as a complete rock star for thinking differently. I deal with this in my agency every day because I deal with sports, entertainment, kids, luxury, fashion, you know, all these industries. We think with a lot of heads yeah. and we bring that to different industries. 
and you yeah. show up in a different industry with a different thought process. So to limit oneself to, I grew up in the fashion industry, it's all I know. No, you actually right. know your way around boardrooms and fashion and merchandising and spreadsheets and sales and vision. And, and, and right, like right. And it's, it's, it's fascinating that you say that because I think, you know, as I, as you were saying that I was reflecting, you know, I grew up in consumer packaged goods, right? I worked for Kellogg's, I worked for PepsiCo, but then I went and I did retail. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, at first glance, adjacent though, and close enough that I understood the retail environment yeah. and, yeah. you know, and, and, and again, to your point, a lot of the skills were transferable. And then from there to financial services, like if you had said to me, when I had first started in marketing at Kellogg's, you know, talking about Eggo waffles and Rice Krispie Street, <laughs> right. I was going to end up at JP Morgan Chase. Right. I would have told you you were crazy. Yeah. But the reality is that, you know, day in and day out, one of the things I'm most proud of, even though there are many days when I have imposter syndrome, I'm not mm. a banker. I didn't grow up in financial services. Right. These people much more than I do, you know, day in and day out, I remind myself that I am bringing, or I try to remind myself, I am bringing something to the table that none of them have yeah. and that they might find valuable. And so to the extent that you can build that confidence within yourself, but it, it's, it's a, it's a years and years and years journey. It doesn't, yeah. you know, you don't show up confident, right. uh, in yourself that way. It's right. just, you know, over the years you build that confidence, right. even though that confidence doesn't, does not exist every day. But it also goes back to what you said before about understanding insights and people and the psychology. And it's funny when I, you know, filed for my major day one at college, I wanted to be a psych major. And I took Psych 101 and I sat there going, I am not going to spend my life analyzing people's problems. And that's all I do for a living as a market. I swapped majors. I went into communications <laughs> and business. And sure. now, look, that's all and we here do. Here we are. But <laughs> when you, you are. do sit on the side of I am the consumer, how does this brand, this company connect with the real human beings out there? And so that is never lost. You know, right. if, if you did not grow up in the world of finance and banking, to your point, you bring so much else to what needs to happen to build that trust, that connection, that relationship and grow the business the way that you do in your group. Um, yeah. It's pretty incredible. I have a question. Given the couple of years that we've been through with the pandemic, how has the company culture been impacted and what are you doing in your role to sort of, you know, turn the tide on, you know, people working from home, working remotely, being, you know, slightly disenfranchised, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very different environment than it might've been four years ago when you were oh. sitting there, or, you know, in, in other positions at the time. So how are you feeling about the issue of company culture? Look, I think every company is uh, going through the same thing, right? It's, it's really not something that is different for us. I, Though I will say, I think that we have done a really nice job at least defining what we want. And so there's no doubt about it that, you know, that the pandemic changed so much. Um, and so many people are seeing each other through these squares. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, Kathy, when we get back together, and we have been, you yeah. know, we, we are, you know, we are together at least three times a week. Um, it has been incredible for the culture. It's been incredible for morale. People 
people working together. Um, in fact, I've started to see people, even though they don't have to come to the office more than three times a week, they do yeah. in some cases. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. just feel that energy. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll talk about myself in particular. You know, I'm in the office five days a week. Mm-hmm. I love being in the office five days a week. Um, Same. <laughs> I need to not be in the office. I'm not in the office, right? Like I travel a lot. Right. And sometimes I need a thinking day, so I stay home. Do you know what's interesting for me is I've been in my role now a little over a year and I reflected at the end of last year that I would not have been able to accomplish three quarters of the stuff that I was able to accomplish if I was not in the office, mm-hmm. even with my own colleagues, right? Yeah. So not, not even just with my team, but with my colleagues and with operating committee members and, and introducing myself and trying to add value to the firm. And, you know, these face-to-face opportunities are so important. And so, you know, the, the fact that, you know, we have a flexible work option for people, but we've been very clear that we also value them being in person together, I think has been really, really helpful yeah. for, for culture. None of it is without its box, right? But that's not a JP yeah. Morgan Chase or a, you know, other company thing. That's everybody. We're all trying to figure it out. But I would say that, you know, I think that our culture is getting better and better and better. And every time I hear someone say, oh, I didn't think you were that tall or I didn't <laughs> right. think you were that smart or, you know what I mean? Like, um, right. you know, we know each other from the, for like from the chest up. Right. It's funny. Really, really like helps drive a culture yeah. of growth and a culture of um, empathy and a culture of, you know, seeing somebody face to face, like, you know, live is, is actually, frankly, helps when you're then on a Zoom with somebody. Exactly. Right? Because you- and you have had contact. Yeah. So I think we're, yeah. we're, you know, we like everybody else are working our way through it, but I actually applaud our leadership for being clear about the kind of culture that we want to build yeah. and what we I love that. And I think we're in a good place. I think it's great for people's mental health and well-being of the company. I'm seeing, you know, on so many levels, the nuance. We've just onboarded some new folks here at our company. And just being around the office for a few days initially, just to yes. get to know each other and laugh and smile and, and just be human and that yeah. human connection rather than, okay, here's a task, go do it. We'll get back on Zoom in an hour. There's yeah. a different mentality, even when you've established that baseline of relationship right. and human connection with them and having them come in. I'm a huge proponent of it. I'm a social the being. And the flexibility is good it's too. Nice. You know, yeah. the flexibility is nice too. Yeah. So we have the best of both worlds that we allow people to, yeah. you know, be together and also, you know, have the flexibility of some days you have a thinking day and you just got to be home, yeah. you know. You and and there's okay. a lot to be said for that without all the disruptions yeah. as well. Um, I'm sensitive time to time. We both have a lot going on in our world. <laughs> I want to ask so many more questions. We may have to do a part two one day, but... I do. I do want to ask you a super fun question. I know you've been around doing a lot of cool and fun things in your life, met some really amazing people. But if you were able to have a dinner party and could invite three or four really just interesting to you human beings that you would love to break bread and have a glass of wine or a tequila with, who (laughs) might that be? Oh, um, you know, I would think about bringing people like uh, people that I thought was interesting and then people that like, you know, um, that others might think are interesting, too. I would I would want to sit at a table with Michelle Obama if I could. Mm. for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, my mom. Oh. There's so much that I still, you know, even Love. through life, want to talk to her about and ask her about and get stories about. That's amazing. Um, 
love to have Madonna at the table. Oh, yes. <laughs> you want to talk about somebody that's reinvented themselves oh, and my continues God. and is I mean, not even, afraid yeah. to, you know, fearless, uh, I think would be wonderful. And another person that I think could be really, really interesting is Julia Roberts. I don't know why oh, she comes to mind when you ask, like, who should be at a table with me, but like, I think she would be fascinating to, yeah. to sit. You know, and, she's and, someone who's larger than life as one of the greatest celebrities, but she's so graceful and quiet in her stardom that there yeah. is something really fascinating about what makes about, her tick, right? Yeah, that. there's something about her that I just, for some reason, I feel like, at least from what I can tell yeah. on the outside, seems really grounded, um, you know, understands the role she plays in life and that she, you know, many people are, you know, watching what she does and all that. So she takes that very responsibly, but very interesting to, you know, uh, and she's a mom and like, she's a working mom. And so yeah. I just think that there's, you know, anyway, all women, uh, and all it. women who are alive still, yes. I'm sure there are, you know, I, there's, there is one, I, 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 I met Madeline Albright very quickly uh. at the Aspen Institute. And I, I think I was tongue tied, tongue twisted and tied. And I, <laughs> right. I, I might've, you know, I don't even know what, <laughs> what I you said her right. and what I said to her, but like, I just think Madeline Albright would be so incredible mm. to sit with and just, you know, you want to talk about somebody that broke through so many boundaries, you know, boundaries and like, I can't imagine the things yeah. that she internally went through, but right. on the outside was so stoic. It'd just be so interesting to hear her point of view and perspective about things that she went through. Uh, she would be fascinating. I love that. Thank you for that. Great perspective. And really, I, I'd like to join the dinner, dinner table. I'll bring the wine. <laughs> Um, this is amazing, Carla. Like I said, there's, there's so much more for us to talk about and hopefully we'll get to do it offline, if not online again at some point, but I really appreciate your insights and just sharing a bit of you with our audience. Um, have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you. And for those listening, please feel free to check the show notes. Um, Carla's LinkedIn pro, uh, profile will be in the show notes and um, check out anything that you want to further inspire you or motivate you on the Reinvention Exchange. Uh, lots of blogs and podcasts and content and happy reinventing everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Power of Reinvention. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and review the show. Wouldn't mind a five-star review. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, be sure to visit thereinventionexchange.com to share your reinvention stories, suggest a guest, join the newsletter mailing list, get access to my book, which is called Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For?, and discover fantastic bonus content with my blogs, and listen in to the Reinvention Virtual Chat series. Don't forget to join me next week for another episode. Please share with a friend, and thank you for listening. Happy reinventing.